Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Court. I am your host, Paul Gann, and for the, and for the next two hours, hours we, will be we will be talking sports sport and having fun doing it. I want all ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And of course, as always, you're going to get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, then I'm going to call 646. 727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash pgan. Blogtalkradio.com slash pgan. Send messages to the show on Twitter at GoForItGan, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. Hit us up here in the chat room here. We can talk sports, have fun doing it, and have a great old time. Great show lined up for you today. Expected to be joined by a guy preparing for the upcoming NFL draft. Marquise Ambles played at the University of Houston, wide receiver for the University of Houston. Uh, Marquise was a blue-chip, big-time recruit uh, coming out of high school. He ultimately, he landed at USC. Ultimately, he, he had some issues at USC. Ultimately, he, he went to junior college, and he ended up landing at the University of Houston. And, and now he's up preparing for the upcoming NFL draft, so we're going to talk to Marquise about his preparation for the upcoming NFL draft. Let's get right down to it. I mean, the NBA, and as as we go through here, we're going to talk about the National Basketball Association, the NBA, as we go into the second half of the season. We're at the unofficial. Obviously, it's 29 games left. We're at the unofficial uh, halfway mark of the NBA season, so we're going to get down to that, talk about some of the surprises, talk about what can what we can expect as we go into the second as we go into the second half of the season. Also we gotta talk Tiger Woods. We gotta talk Chicago Little League. We gotta to get to a bunch of stuff. Marshawn Lynch also out there talking about he might retire. So we got a bunch of things that we gotta to get to and we're gonna to get to it in this hour. We're gonna to get to it in this hour. We're gonna to get to all those things. Let's get right down to it. Let's start the National Basketball Association. The NBA All-Star break in New York City. It should be a good time for a lot of people going out there in New York. It's cold. It's cold. I don't know if you want to be out there in that cold weather. But you got the All-Star break. You got New York City. You got two bad basketball teams out there in New York City. Well, the Nets are okay, but the Knicks are bad. The Knicks are bad. And... As we look at the NBA right now during the All-Star break and just look at the standings and look at what's going on in this league, it, it's it's still very wide open. It's still a very wide open situation at this point in time. I mean, you look at the standings, you look out east, you see Atlanta on top, and then you go out west and you see Golden State on top. I mean... It's still fluid. It's a very fluid situation. If the playoffs were to start today, OKC would be on the outside looking in. They would be on the outside looking in. And that's a team that many favored to possibly get back to the NBA championship finals, I should say, and ultimately win an NBA title. But as I look at the first half of the season, look, starting in the Eastern Conference, you got to look at Atlanta and that 43 and 11. That sticks out to you. That's an eye popping, amazing number. 43 wins for the Atlanta Hawks. They didn't have 43 wins all of last season. At this point, 54 games in, they have 43 big wins. And I look at the Atlanta Hawks, I look at this team, and it's a team that is a team. I mean, they, they are the epitome of a team. Who is their go-to guy? Maybe Jeff Teague. You know, I, I guess if you you, you had to, to to pick a guy, I think Jeff Teague would be the guy that you would say 
is their go-to guy. But they have five guys in double figures. They got four, four all-stars, Teague, Millsap, Horford, Kyle Korver. I mean, they get play off the bench and uh, Schroeder, Schroeder, excuse me, Mike Scott. They give them good minutes. Antich gives them good minutes at times. I mean, uh, Shelvin Mack, not really. But, I mean, you, you know, you, you get the point. It's a team that is a team. And, it, and on any given night, somebody's going to step up. Somebody is going to step up. Mike Scott's had some decent runs over the past few weeks. But somebody's going to step up, whether it's Corver. Whether it's Horford, whether it's Millsap, whether it's Teague, somebody's going to step up for this ball club, and they got five guys, theoretically. They are a team, and they got five guys who could put the ball, theoretically, in the basket. I mean, they put it in the basket, and I'm not saying they're prolific scorers, no, but they feed off each other, they work off each other, and now they're in a position where they have the best record in the Eastern Conference, and nobody, I mean, nobody, had that and would have said that at the beginning of the season, 54 games in, that the Atlanta Hawks would have 43 wins and be on top of the Eastern Conference. But Toronto was there, and they're tough. People expected Toronto to be a good basketball team. They are a good basketball team in Toronto. Dwayne Casey doing a great job. All-star Kyle Lowry doing a good doing work, putting in work. DeMar DeRozan is back. They're a good basketball team. Chicago, an impressive performance last night against the Cavaliers. Derrick Rose slowly but surely turning and, and returning to form. And, and this Bulls team, they're going to be a tough out. And Washington, John Wall, Bradley Bill, they're going to be a tough out. And, of course, Cleveland at five. And, and nobody, I don't think, expected Cleveland to be five. If anything, you expect Cleveland and Atlanta to be switched. I mean, Atlanta more often, more than likely was a playoff team coming into the season, but you didn't expect – Atlanta be one and, and Cleveland to be five. And probably when it's all said and done, Atlanta is going to be the top seed. Cleveland is ten and a half games back from the Atlanta Hawks. And at, at one point this year, Cleveland, you know, we were, we were wondering what was going on with the Cavaliers. And the Cavaliers were thinking, you know, thanking their lucky stars that they were in the Eastern Conference. And ultimately they turned this thing around. They've turned this thing around and, you know, went on a, a big-time win streak and, and, and ultimately put themselves back in position to now be a team that you're going to have to watch for, be a team that you're going to have to worry about in the playoffs. Obviously, this is a championship-caliber team. Miles Golf, J.R. Smith, Amon Shumpert added to the mix, which you already have with Kyrie and Kevin Love and LeBron James. Kevin Love, is he fitting in? Is he fitting out? We're trying to figure all that out. And ultimately, you want him to fit in and fit out and do what he has to do ultimately to get the Cavaliers to where they want to go. But the Cavaliers, they're going to be there. They're a tough out. And they're not. They're more than a tough out. They're a championship contending team. I look at the five teams in each Chicago: Atlanta, Toronto, Chicago, Washington, Cleveland. I think you can all make a case that either of those teams could make it to the NBA Finals. I think you can make a case for each of those teams. You look at six: Milwaukee. Surprising. I mean, Jason Kidd is doing a great job with the Milwaukee Bucks. They lose their prize rookie Jabari Parker. But they're still moving and grooving and playing some good basketball. And 30 and 23, seven games over 500, playing some good basketball. And if you look at it, they're a game behind the Cavaliers in the loss column and two games behind the Wizards in the loss column as well. So easily they could get up to four. Who knows? They're three games behind the Bulls in the loss column, three and a half in total. So they could possibly move up to three. Who knows? But Milwaukee's playing some good basketball. And if in order for them to move up, obviously they have to play better basketball. But they're they're a solid team and then a surprising team in the you know, the rest of the Eastern Conference Charlotte at that twenty two and thirty seven spot and Miami at the eighth spot. And that could change. Boston's coming up playing some good basketball. You had Detroit was making that run for that eighth spot and then Brandon Jennings goes down. You know, they go four six in their last ten. They're a little different team without Brandon Jennings. But at the same time, there's still a possibility they could go. There's still talent on that roster. Boston, I don't think they want to go to the playoffs, but they could make it. And, and Brooklyn could be on the outside looking. And you look at Miami, a team with, you know, uh, Wade and Bosch and, and Lou Aldang and some of the moves they made in this offseason. You thought Miami was a team that would be much better. I did. I thought Miami possibly could be a 50-win team. Things really haven't turned out the way they wanted to turn out in Miami. But who knows? I, I mean, the Heat, they're not a team – 
that is going to win an NBA title, obviously. Maybe they can play better in the second half of the season, but there's a good possibility that Brooklyn can take them for that A spot or even Detroit. Indiana's playing some decent basketball as well. But look, let's go to the West. And, and, and that's where it gets fun. That's where it gets interesting. And that's where you really have less answers. But if I look at the Eastern Conference, again, five teams, Atlanta, Toronto, Chicago, Washington, Cleveland, each I believe you can make a case that any of those teams can go to the, uh, to the NBA Finals. I know at the beginning of the year everybody was saying it's going to be Cleveland and Chicago in the Eastern Conference Finals. That's what everybody was shooting for. That was the talk, Cleveland, Chicago, NBA, uh, Eastern Conference Finals. That was the talk. But now Atlanta's in that mix, Toronto's in that mix, and now Washington's playing in that mix as well. But, you know, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. If the playoffs were to start today, you know, Atlanta, if they win in the first round, and Cleveland, if they won in the first round, they would have Washington in that first round, which won't be an easy series. But if they get past Washington, Cleveland and Atlanta would be in that second round, which would be very interesting. Very interesting. The Hawks would have home court advantage. The Hawks have played well this season, obviously. The Hawks have ha- have a home court advantage. They're 25-3. and three. You know, at the highlight factory out there in Atlanta, and and the fans are coming out there, and and a lot of people are saying, you know what? You you know, before you you go to Atlanta, it was all about having a good time, the party scene, and and going out there. There really wasn't much juice, much energy in in the building. Now that's changed. There's energy. There's juice in that building, and the fans are flocking out there watching the Atlanta Hawks, and the Atlanta Hawks are are 25-3 at home, so they're a tough home team. Should be interesting. But I think when it's all said and done, if I'm forecasting the second half, I like Cleveland. I, I, I like what Cleveland has done, and I'm going to take out what happened last night. I like what Cleveland has done. I really do. And, and the reality is, you know, it could be a possibility that they don't even see Chicago in the NBA's Eastern Conference Finals. Who knows? But I, I like Cleveland to still get out of the East. I like the way they're playing. I like the moves that they made, and, and I think they're going to come out of the East when it's all said and done. We'll see. Let's go to Western Conference now, and that's when it gets fun. That's when it gets fun. That's when it gets interesting. That's when it gets hard. And, and that's when it gets, you know what, there's really not a lot of answers here. In the East, in the West, in the East, I said about five teams you can make an argument for. In the West, when it's all said and done, when OKC finally surpasses Phoenix because Oklahoma City is coming. They are coming. And I, I talked about it last week. OKC needed to make a move. It was time for OKC to make a move in these standings. It was time for OKC to start playing OKC like basketball. It it was time for OKC to be the team that we thought they were going to be when this season started. And I know Durant was out, and I know Westbrook was out for for extended periods of time. But at the same time, they've been back together. And it's time for OKC to take off because you can't mess around, you can't play around in this Western Conference. You go on a little losing streak, and you could be on the outside looking in. You go on a little losing streak, and you could be going from the the, the second or third seed all the way down to possibly the seventh or eighth seed. I mean, that's how contested it is in that Western Conference. You look at it. Three, well, you even look at two through seven it's separated by five games. You look at seven through three, it's separated by two games. So it's contested. It's contested, man. And and like I said, in the West East, I said five teams could come out of the East. I don't. I'm not sure about Washington, but I want to put that in. Put them in the mix. They're they're going to be a tough team. To, to, to be taken out. They're going to be a tough team to play in the, in the playoffs. But I look at the West. When it's all said and done, OKC, Phoenix is going to be on the outside looking at OKC is coming. Phoenix has is, is, is not been playing well. They're 3-7 and seven in their last 10. They've lost two in a row going into this all-star break. Oklahoma City and, uh, and Phoenix, same record in terms of the loss column, and that's where it's big. And OKC is coming. They're coming. And Phoenix, I think, won't be able to hold off Oklahoma City. So when it's all said and done, and I don't see OKC catching San Antonio, the Clippers, Dallas, Houston, Portland, or Memphis, but especially not Golden State. But when it's all said and done, OKC and Golden State 
probably will be playing in the first round, and there's a good possibility in that 1A matchup because OKC is not your typical ace seed. They're not. They're not your typical ace seed. Even when the Knicks, remember back in 99 when the Knicks made it to the NBA Finals, that wasn't your typical ace seed. The Dallas Mavericks last season wasn't really your typical ace seed. They, they weren't. And, and you're going to get that. You've been getting that a lot in the Western Conference over the years. You're getting teams that are not typical eighth, seventh seeds. I mean, heck, the San Antonio Spurs are a seventh seed at this point. They're the seventh seed at this point. That's not your typical seventh seed. It's not. And so with that being said, if you're Golden State and you're going to have – you're more than likely probably going to have that number one spot, well, guess what? You're going to have to play OKC. And OKC with Westbrook and, and, and Durant and Ibaka, that's not going to be an easy series. That's going to be an epic series. That's going to be a very good series, and you're going to get it in the first round. I mean, if the playoffs were to start today, look at the matchups you're getting. Golden State, Phoenix, but I'm taking Phoenix out. It's going to be Golden State, OKC. Memphis, San Antonio. That's a tough series for both ball clubs. Portland, Clippers. We'll see what Blake Griffin is going to be out for an extent. Those six to eight weeks with the elbow situation. But Clippers and Portland, that's going to be a tough series. Houston and Dallas, that's going to be a tough series. And we don't know what the White for Howard's going to be when 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 that, when the playoffs come around. So I, I said the Eastern Conference at Cleveland. I look at the West. I'm going to say I don't know. I'm going to put my hands in the air. I maybe might might even close my eyes and, and just pick one and point to one. And I know Charles Barkley made an interesting point when talking about Oklahoma City and the possibilities of them, you know, getting to the NBA Finals. He feels like, you know what, a team like OKC is going, who is going to possibly have to play, well, they're not going to have home court advantage. And, and there's always the possibility that they may have to play a seventh game in another team's building. We know what history says about seven games, the home team favor the home team. The whole, the history says the home team wins most of the time. So, I mean, it's a great logical, legitimate point by Charles Barkley, but I look at OKC, and it's a different team, man. This is, this is again, this is not your typical eighth seed. And, you know, these, these teams are going to beat each other up. Memphis, a legitimate championship contender. Golden State, obviously, on top of the Western Conference, legitimate Championship contender, Portland, legit. Houston, legit. We'll see what happens with Dwight Howard. But Houston's legit. Dallas is legit. The Clippers are legit. San Antonio, obviously, is legit. And OKC, when they get in there, it's going to be legit as well. So I could say eight teams in the Western Conference could theoretically, you could make a case that eight, all eight of those teams who make the playoffs could theoretically make it to the NBA Finals. I think you could make that case. You could definitely make that case. So it's going to be fun. Let's just say it's going to be fun. And that's the beauty this year in the National Basketball Association. Different from from last year because in a lot of ways, you know, Miami in the East and in the West, you know, San Antonio obviously was one of the favorites, OKC. You, those two teams you figured were it's going to be one of those two teams you figured were going to be in the NBA Finals. Now, this year, the East is wide open and the West is even more so wide open. The West is even more so wide open. Golden State, you, you want to know, you, you talk about Golden State, got to talk about the health of Andrew Bogut because you're going to need those bigs in the playoffs. Memphis, you know, they made a nice move getting Jeff Green. That's a great acquisition for the Memphis Grizzlies. A long, athletic wing player to go along with what they have down low with, with, with those muckers and grinders and Zach Randolph and Marcus Gasol. Portland with Aldridge and Lillard. Houston, you know, James Harden, MVP caliber season. We'll see with Dwight Howard if he comes back. If he can come back, you we, we got to see what he's going to be. But if he can come back, obviously Houston's big. 
Dallas with Dirk and, and Monte Ellis and Rondo. And the Clippers, obviously, Chris Paul, CP3, DeAndre Jordan's putting up some big-time numbers, a bunch of 20-20 and 20 games. And then the Blake Griffin, you got to get him back healthy. And, and San Antonio, you know, Tony Parker's back, and, you know, let's see if they can rev it up. And OKC, I'm, I'm, Phoenix Suns fans, I'm sorry. You boys are not making it to the playoffs. I'm sorry. I'm looking at OKC, Durant, Westbrook, you know, Ibaka, team uh, is a team that knows what it takes to get to the NBA Finals, uh, a team that's been together for a while, uh, a team that's battle-tested, a team that's trying to break through, a team that is trying to break through. We'll see if they can break through. But ultimately, they got to break through to the playoffs. I see that happening. I see OKC in the playoffs when it's all said and done. I, I think they're, in, in terms of catching, like I said, in terms of catching uh, San Antonio, the Clippers, you know, Dallas, and, you know, any of those teams, I don't see it happening. I think they're a little too far behind for that. But in terms of catching Phoenix, I think Phoenix is ripe for the taking. They're ripe for the picking. And, and I see ultimately OKC getting that A spot, ultimately taking the Phoenix Suns out of the playoffs. It's going to be fun, man. It's going to be fun. And, you know, All-Star Weekend is, is always fun as well. Nobody does All-Star games like the NBA. I say it all the time. I repeat myself all the time when it comes to that. And I'm going to continue to repeat myself when it comes to that. No one does All-Star games like the National Basketball Association. No one. And, and, that's, not to say, and that's not to say that the NBA All-Star game is great because obviously it's up and down basketball. There's no defense being played. And, but it's fun. It's exciting. The best players are playing. But at the end of the day, it's not, you know, it, it's an exhibition game. But no one does it. All, 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 the, the Pro Bowl stinks. Hockey stinks. You know, that, that's not even real hockey. It's just like basketball in a lot of ways. It's not even real. And baseball is boring. It stinks. You know, even what you're trying to, you know, you, you're trying to uh, say, if you, even in baseball where you try to make the game mean something, still is a boring, it, it's not as fun. It's not fun to me. The whole run derby stinks too. That's not fun to me. The NBA, you know, you got the dunk contest. And over the years, obviously, dunk contest has been down. And one of the reasons it's down is because you don't have star power. You don't have star power in a dunk contest like you've had over the years. I mean, Zach Levine, you know, he's a rookie. That's not star power. Mason Plumley, that's really not star power. It's not. It, it, it's not star power. You need star power, and I've been saying this over and over and over. It, it's not the dunks, per se, because the, the dunks are, are great. The dunks are super athletic. These guys are doing things that guys in the past really could not do. Zach Levine, Oladipo, I mean, Plumley, and the kid from Milwaukee, the Greek kid, I can't even say his name. Jonas. I'll say Jonas. I can't even say his last name. I've been struggling with that. But, you know, there's no name recognition in that. And you compare that field. And, and I'm looking forward to the three-point contest, to be honest with you. And over the years, I've always looked forward to the dunk contest. But when I see Plumlee, Levine, Oladipo, and, and Jonas from the Milwaukee Bucks, I, I, that doesn't excite me. But I tell you, what does excite me? I, I, I tell you what does excite me when I see names like Steph Curry, when I see names like Klay Thompson, when I see names like Kyrie Irving, when I see names like James Harden, when, when I see those names, when I see an all-star, even Kyle Korver, I see the creme de la creme, I see the best of the best in terms of three-point shooting, and I see stars. I see stars. And that makes it exciting. When you see star power, that's what makes it fun. That's what draws people. It's not like I, I made this point last year. The dunks are exciting. It's just who's dunking. The guys who are dunking don't really get you up, don't excite you. That doesn't excite you. But the dunk, the, the, the three-point shooters, 
on the list. Curry, Corver, Clay Thompson, Harden, Irving. Those names excite you. And those names will have you watching. And and, and to me, if we want to make the dunk contest dunk contest better, we gotta get the guys out there, you know, you got to get the guys out there. You, you, you got to get the names out there. You know, when, when back in the day, the Neeks and the Jordan, even Kobe, when he came in, and, and remember Isaiah Ryder, when he came in, and his, his desire, first thing he said, he's going to win a dunk contest. And, you know, you want to see LeBron. And LeBron talked about this, and, and, you know, he regrets it on some level. Quote, when I first came into the league, I expected I would do it. I did. I did for sure. But it just never happened. I don't know why. There were times when I wanted to do it, and I didn't do it. And there were times when I just didn't really care about it too much. But it definitely would have been pretty cool to do. And to me, it would have been cool. It would have been great. When Blake Griffin did it, it was cool. It was great. He was the big-time rookie that particular season. When Vince did it, it was cool. It was great. When Dwight Howard was doing it, it was cool. It was great. And to me, it would be cool. It would be great. Give me LeBron. Give me somebody with some name recognition. Give me somebody. I'd love to have LeBron. Obviously, Blake is hurt. Have LeBron come and, and Blake come on out there. You know, those guys. Guys with name recognition. Dwight Howard, have him come out and do it again, even though he'll never do it again. But th- that's the beauty of it. That was the fun thing, and, and that's what made Neek and, and, and Jordan exciting because you had the best of the best doing it. Dr. J came out and you know, and, and he was the best of the best. He had name recognition. Zach Levine, Oladipo, and those guys, Plumlee, there's no rain, name recognition there. And so, even though their dunks are going to be great, even though some of the dunks that they bring to the table are probably dunks that a lot of people couldn't do, and, and probably are dunks that if LeBron was doing it, you'd be jumping up and dancing in the street. It's not going to be great because of the lack of name recognition, and that's what makes the three-point contest exciting because there's name recognition, and that's what's going to hurt the dunk contest, the lack of name recognition. And speaking of the All-Star Game, as we prepare for the All-Star Game Sunday night in New York City, Madison Square Garden, Carmelo Anthony, there's talk now that, you know, his final game of the 2014-2015 season will be the All-Star game. His final game is going to probably be the All-Star game. That's it. He's shutting it down. Shutting it down after the All-Star game. Very likely to shut it down after the All-Star game. He said it yesterday. It's very, very likely. It's very likely, Dell. I've got to start thinking about the future. This season is the season. So I really want to sit down with my team and sit down with the proper people just to kind of plan this thing out and see exactly what I have to do to get done and just to fix it. He's going to play in the All-Star game. He said, quote, even if I come out and just play a couple minutes and just wave, I don't think the fans deserve seeing me miss this game. They voted me in for a reason, so at least I can show them that I appreciate that by just participating in the game. And You know, you can criticize Melo for, for going out there and playing the All-Star game and pretty much making this his final game of the year, but what, what, what is he going to do if he plays for the New York Knicks at this point in the season? 10-11 win ball club, a bad basketball team, a team at this point who, who basically is tanking. They're, they're, they're trying to outdo the Sixers and any other team that's tanking. I mean, the Knicks 
traded away Shumpert, Smith. I mean, their team is, is, is gutted. And then not to say with Shumpert and Smith they were a good basketball team because they weren't. But the Knicks, Phil Jackson, he did the right thing. He, he truly did do the right thing. The Knicks are a bad basketball team. The Knicks need to prepare for the future. Melo, if Melo goes out and play, he's not helping anybody. He's not helping anybody. He's hurting the team, really, if you want to be honest, because he's messed up their draft pick. He's messing up their situation. He's hurting their team. Not helping, hurting. So Melo's doing the right thing, sitting out for the rest of the season playing the All-Star game, playing a few minutes, and then sitting out. Sitting it out. And I know Melo, <laughs> you, you, you look at the Knicks situation, even with the cap space that they had, and I, I talked about this, man. Even with the cap space in 2010 they had, it only got them a Maury Stoudemire. And we all know what Maury Stoudemire has, uh, Stoudemire can't even talk. We all know what Stoudemire has been for the Knicks over these past few seasons. In and out of the lineup. At at times he showed flashes, but he's been in and out of the lineup. And and so, obviously the Knicks are a team that's thinking about tomorrow. And Melo is a player that's thinking about tomorrow. And I think it's it's time for Melo to sit down now, play the All-Star game if you want to have a problem with that. It's in New York City. Um, you know, you're, you're the ho- your team is the host city. You're the best player in New York City. So go out there, play a few minutes. The fans voted you in. Obviously, they do want to see you on some level. There's truth to that. Go out there and play. Give a couple minutes, as you said, and, and now and shut it down. Kick the knee up. You know, do what you got to do surgically if necessary. And, and come back in 2015 stronger. Come back better. 2015, 2016 season stronger, ultimately better. And, and with the hope that Phil Jackson can possibly get you a LaMarcus Aldridge. With the hope that Phil Jackson could possibly get you a Kevin Love. With the hope that Phil Jackson could possibly get you a Rondo. With the hope that your team will stink it up and you'll have enough ping pong, ping pong balls where you could get a Jaleel Okafor. So that, that, that's what you want to, that's what the hope is, I think. If you're the Knicks, hope all those things. Hope that Phil Jackson can make New York a desirable place for free agents. The hope that Phil Jackson can be as good of an executive as he was as a coach. The hope that Phil Jackson can do better than Scott Layden, better than Isaiah Thomas. Better than Steve Mills. Better than anybody associated with the Knicks in the front office, Donnie Walsh, over the past few seasons. Hope that Phil Jackson can give you just that. Hope moving forward. Because you had the opportunity, Melo, to go sign with a Chicago Bulls team. That would have had you contending for a championship. You had that opportunity. You said it was close. You had that chance, but you chose money over championships, at least short term. You chose money over championships, and I'm not mad at you. I, I, I'm not mad at you at all. Actually, I don't blame you. And probably I would have made the right decision. Uh, the right, I probably would have made the same choice because it is the right decision. It is the right choice. You can't leave that kind of money on the table. That kind of money doesn't come around every single day. What, 50 to $60 million essentially he would have left on the table if he would have signed with the Bulls over the next. But you, you can't do that. You, you, you got a family to feed. And you can laugh and say, well, he's already making a boatload of money. How much money do you need to feed your family? Well, I argue that you may never have too much money. To, you, you can never have enough money to feed your family. You never have enough money. You don't have enough money to feed your family. If Melo feels like in order for him to feed his family, you know, he had to stay there in 
New York City and make them as much money as possible, I'm I'm not mad at them. I'm not mad at them. I can't argue with them. When we come back, we're going to be joined by a guy preparing for the upcoming NFL draft. When we come back, we'll be joined by Marquise Ambles. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It. Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... That doesn't mean anything in the playoffs time. When the playoffs come, it doesn't mean anything. I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, (laughs) too, man. (laughs) Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that, you know, we know that you can have married women. We've seen you you have a pedigree. (laughs) We've seen what you can do. We've seen it. (laughs) I would never bring my wife around, too. I just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's all right. That's not right. (laughs) That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. (laughs) And we're back. And we're about to bring in a guy now. You got the NFL draft right around the corner. Guys out there looking and preparing themselves for that opportunity for their name to be called. And if the name is not called, their name is not called, they're preparing for the opportunity to be an undrafted rookie free agent. As we've seen over the past few weeks, we look at the Super Bowl. Chris Matthews for the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, you know, what, Popeye? No, it was Butler, Malcolm Butler, who was at Popeye's cooking Popeye's and Popeye's chicken, and we all love Popeye's chicken. And then you got Chris Matthews working at a footlocker. So uh, these guys didn't take the common route to the National Football League. So there's many different routes to the National Football League. And so the NFL draft is around the corner. Guys are preparing for the NFL draft, and we're going to bring in a guy who's preparing for the NFL draft. Let's bring him in now, former University of Houston wide receiver Marquise Ambles. Marquis. Hello, how you doing? Yeah, how are how you, you sir? Doing? I'm great, I'm great, I'm doing good. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I'm glad to be on the show. Now, Marquis, we're still very early in the draft process, but at this point, what kind of things are you hearing from NFL scouts around the league? Uh, I haven't been hearing much. Uh, i just been focusing on just getting my body in the best shape and uh, getting prepared for my pro day on March 26th. And going from there, but I just been preparing with my trainer down here in Florida. I'm in Boca Raton right now, and just getting in the best shape I can be in and get prepared. And as you're prepared for this draft, what, what what kind of shape are you in at this point? Where do you see your body at this point in time? You know, March is coming up. Where do you see your body right now? Uh, well, right now I'm around 202. I finished off the season probably around like one. Like 190, so I've gained like 12 pounds. Got my speed down. Got my uh, got my knee, my knee in the best shape it's been in since the season. Cause I played through an injury throughout the season, so I'm feeling 100% right now as we speak. Now, as we approach this draft, and as we your pro day is March 26, that's going to be a big time day for you. What do you feel like you need to improve on? What are the things that you need to work on? Uh. I just basically work around work on my all around game, but I know uh, a lot of scouts there they're really eager to see me run and stuff. So I know it's gonna be one of the biggest things they want to see from me come pro day. So I really just been working on my speed and just working on everything else after that. Where do you want? To, where do you expect? And where do you want your forty time to be at? Uh, I expect I expect to run four four. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And have you been hitting that mark as you're in training at this point? Yes. yes. Okay. Right. I got a whole another month and a half pretty much to train. I'm going to be down here in Florida until the early part of March, and then I'm going to go and finish out uh, my training in Houston. As a whole, what do you feel like your strengths are? What, what do you bring to the table? What can you bring to an NFL team? Uh, I say my strengths are just my like my knowledge for the game. Like, I know all the coverages and, and my route running. I feel like it's already NFL ready. Like, 
I just, I'm a very physical player. I love to block as as much as well. I love to catch the ball. And I'm pretty, I can learn fast. I can learn all the playbooks. I played in two different systems already. And I played in a pro style with, uh, when I was out at UB. So I know a lot of the terminology would like that. And learning the spread at Houston this past two years okay. has just got me prepared in a different way as well. We're talking to former University of Houston wide receiver Marquise Ambles. And Marquise in 2010, coming out of high school, man, you were a can't-miss prospect. Initially, you were going to go to Tennessee and play under Lane Kiffin. Ultimately, you followed Lane Kiffin to USC where you played one season and ultimately were dismissed from the team. Where did it go wrong for you at USC? Uh, I would just say, like, I was just – I was uh, moving from – from a small town in Georgia all the way out to L.A., it was just a pretty much culture shock, and I wasn't as mature as I am now, and I just took me, like, uh, uh, took me losing it to, to learn from it and know what I have right now. For sure. And it's just a blessing to still be home and be able to dare to graduate and hit come May and all that. So it's just, it was a learning experience, me leaving USC. Now, let me ask you this. Ultimately, I look at last season, 2013, man, and you said you had some you had some academic difficulties there at USC, but I'm looking at you, man, 2013, you're academic All-American in the American Conference. How did you mm-hmm. turn things around in the classroom? Uh, it was just, man, I just had to, when I, when I went to junior college and stuff, it just it made me step back and just look at my situation from afar, and I just started focusing more on classes being in the class on time, doing all the things my coaches tell me to do, and it just uh, I just started getting better grades and stuff. And I, I stuck with it. You stuck with it, and ultimately, in order for you to get to Houston, you went to junior college. And when you went to junior college, did, did that humble you? How humbling of an experience was that from you? For you going from USC, you know, the big time college university to junior college. Oh uh, man, it was the the most humbling thing that ever happened to me in my life, uh, like junior college, it was so much different than college. Like you did everything on your own. Nobody was there to help you really. You didn't have all the services that you had in a D one D one school and stuff. And just when I when I made it through that I just knew that God had a plan for me to, to stay on that path and stay playing football. Because if I wouldn't have made it through that then I don't think I'd be still playing. Now let me ask you this. Now, I want to go back for a moment. I know you said you came from Georgia, and at one point you committed to Tennessee. Do you wish on some level that you would have just committed to Tennessee instead of going out there to USC? You know, like you said, you were a small-town guy headed out to USC, bright lights, big city. Do you almost wish that you would have went to Tennessee? Yeah, I wouldn't say that I wish I would have went to, went to Tennessee, but it probably would have been a better situation for me being in the South. But I don't regret going to USC, going out to USC at all. It was one of some of the best times of my life. And I still, I still got love for uh, USC and Tennessee, all, all the schools that recruited me. We're talking to uh, former University of Houston wide receiver Marquise Ambles and Marquise. Last season, forty-nine catches, five hundred thirty-nine yards, four touchdowns for you. And you said throughout the course of last season you were hobbled by a leg injury. As a whole, talk about what you did in 2014 and were you happy with your play? Uh, yes, I was. I was happy with my play, like because we had like two a quarterback change and the quarterback consistency wasn't as good as it should have been as it was the last year. Okay. And we had new coaches in, so we had to get. Uh, used to like a new offensive coordinator and all of that, but as far as my stats and stuff, I I was happy with what uh, I ended the season with. I wish it could have been better. Wish could have got more targets and stuff, but I was happy with my play as far as all around blocking, passing, doing what the coaches tell me to do. Now I want you to do this: compare Marquise Ambles coming out of high school and going to USC to the Marquise Ambles that we see right now. Compare that person. How much different is that guy? Uh, I for, I'll just see, say I see myself more as a 
I treat it I treat it more as a, me being like a walk on player and, a, and looking at it like that as far as being a star. I just want to come in and work hard every day and, and earn my earn my play and earn whatever whatever is given to me. And did you feel at some point that you got caught up in being the star? I mean, coming out of high school, you were you were you know a blue chipper man. Did did you almost get caught up in some respect? Yeah, I would say maybe I got caught up a little bit. Yeah, I maybe expected more things instead of just working for it. Okay. Off firsthand, like coming in as a freshman, as in me being a senior now. But okay. I'm glad it all happened like that because the time is now, and I got my head on right now, so it really don't matter. And you're gonna, you, you said you are gonna get your degree in May. Yes. Okay. All right, man. You, you, you're doing it big. You, you're doing it big in the classroom. You had some struggles, but you made it. You, you got it right, and ultimately, you are going to get a degree. You are on Twitter. Where can fans connect with Marquise Ambles on Twitter? Uh, they can connect with me at Neutron, N-E-W-T-R-O-N 21. Okay, all right. At Neutron 21. All right, so fans, make sure you connect with this guy on Twitter at Neutron 21. In the end, should I expect to see you on the NFL roster in 2015? Yes, you should. Okay. God willing. Yes, you should. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Marquise, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Let's do this again. Uh, Yes, let's do this again. And it was a pleasure being on your show. Take care. All right, you too. Marquise Ambles, former University of Houston wide receiver, as he prepares for the upcoming NFL draft, and, you know, he, he got caught up. And, and, you know, he was a blue chipper coming out of high school. You know, a, a can't-miss prospect. A, a guy that, you know, coming out of USC, I mean, he was a top-ten receiver, number three to be exact, in the 2010 recruiting class coming out of high school. So big things were expected for Marquise Ambles, and, you know, he had to take or secure this route, you know, ultimately going to junior college and, getting back to D1, going to University of Houston, and, and putting up decent numbers at the University of Houston. So we'll see what he can bring to the next level, and hopefully he can get to that next level and have a lot of success on the next level. Speaking of success and speaking of, you know, success, well, at one point there was success, and then now it's all been taken away. Little League in Chicago, well, they've been stripped. It's been taken away from them. And apparently, they violated the rules in terms of, of, of using players outside of the geographical area. Jackie Robinson West, and then what a story it was. You know, you had a, a predominantly all-black team, and, and on that team, you look at baseball. And, and, you know, how a lot of African Americans, a lot of people from the inner city are kind of turning away from the sport. So it was good from that standpoint because you had an all-black team and they were going towards the sport, a baseball sport that a lot of African-Americans are, are drawn away from or are going away from. But ultimately, it was, I guess, in some respect, too good to be true. And, and the reality is now, apparently they falsified boundary maps and, and, you know, they brought in players that – didn't live in that particular boundary, that didn't live in that particular area. And in doing so, ultimately, they violated rules, and ultimately they're stripped of their title. And, and, and here's the thing. This is, it's about the adults. This is not about the kids. This is not about the kids. And, you know, President Obama, I think, said it best when he made his statement, because as we know, this group, Jackie Robinson West, went to the White House, had a little ceremony, you know, at the White House, and, you know, they were parading and things of that nature. The president, quote, this is what the president said, the president is proud of the way, and this is what actually his spokesperson said, the president is proud of the way they represented their city and talking about the Jackie Robinson West team from Chicago. They were proud of the way they represented the city and the way they represented the country. The fact is some dirty dealing by some adults take, doesn't take anything away from the accomplishments of those young men. And, I mean, here's the thing, at the end of the day, they won on the field wouldn't matter. Now, you could argue, obviously, it's no argument, they broke rules in order to do that. 
But I really don't think you could truly, truly take it away from him. You could take it away from him in terms of the record books and things of that nature. But in the end, what was accomplished is what was accomplished. What they did is what they did. And and whether it was illegal or legal, they, they were all the same age. I mean, the ages were right. It wasn't a Danny Almonte situation where he was older. The ages were right. It was just they didn't live in the area they were supposed to live in. And so here's the thing, and I know people are saying, well, you know, these are kids, and, and, and give it back to them, and they deserve it, and, and they should still have this record and this championship and so on and so forth. Here's the reality of the situation. Let me let me let me break it down to you, for, and, and so let me break it down for you. You look at life, and, and in life, we all pay for the sins of the father. And, and what I mean by that, we all pay sometimes for the sins of our parents and the mistakes that our parents make throughout the course of their life. Some of those mistakes have you growing up in a bad situation. Some of those mistakes have you growing up poor. Some of those mistakes give you a bad reputation. And that's just the reality of life. Kids always pay for the sins of the father, the mother, the parents. That's just the reality of the situation. You pay for it. Rules are rules and rules are violated. You pay for the sins of your parents. This is not a knock on the kids. The kids are innocent. But the kids have to pay for the sins of their parents. The kids didn't know what was going on. They were innocent. But you still got to pay for the sins of the parents. That's just the reality of the situation. And, and so that's what's happening here. It's not fair. might not even be right. But it's reality. You, as as players, the Little League players, and here's the thing about Little League, the World Series, it's a kid's game, and I, I guess it's, it's a level of purity with it. It's not as pure as it once was. I don't care what you say, because it's big time. If it wasn't big time, they wouldn't do what they did here. If it wasn't big time, Danny Almonte wouldn't have been pitching many years ago. If the, It's big time. And so the recognition, look, I mean, look at these guys. You know, they're going to the White House. You know, they, they were a world store. I mean, look at um, uh, Monet Davis from Philadelphia and, and the celebrity that she's gained. And part of her, you know, the allure with her, she was a female. But look at the celebrity she's gained because of the Little League World Series. Because, I mean, she's on ESPN. And millions of people are watching her. Millions of people are watching her. You know, ESPN is, is, is televising these worlds, the world, the Little League World Series, and people are watching. People are flocking to watch the Little League World Series. And, and so, obviously, it's making money. And obviously, it's giving people name recognition, notoriety, fame. And, and so, when you have that dynamic out there, it's just like the dynamic of everybody, you know, wanting to get famous. And, you know, you know everybody wants that big video that might go viral. Everybody wants that picture that might go viral. Everybody, you know, even in journalism, everybody is looking to one-up somebody. Everybody is looking to get that story, that big story. And in the process of trying to get that big story, you make mistakes. In the process of that, you rush. In the process of that, you take chances. In the process of that, you take risks. And you do things that ethically you may not have done. You know, you, you talk about journalists, you need what? Three sources. You know, you got guys going off of one source, and who knows how trustworthy that source is. And so, basically what I'm trying to say is this. These guys wanted, and I, I know they were talking, Carl Ravage, I know was talking about saying, you know, the, the team was saying we were about a couple pieces away from being successful. And they found those couple pieces, and that was a couple of years ago, and they found, I guess they found those couple pieces that made them successful and ultimately led them to winning and ultimately, they lost, and the, you know, ultimately they lost. But you know, they got there. They got there. Now, Las Vegas, the team in Las Vegas, will be the American champion. But it doesn't really matter. Do we really care? At the end of the day, the team in Chicago won. They got fame. They got notoriety. And we're going to be talking about them for a long time now. This, to me, is not a black issue. It's not a white issue. This is a rule issue. They violated the rules, and at the end of the day, you can argue that maybe. I know some of the argument is the boundary, the, the, the way the boundaries are set up. They're set up a little differently than they are in other places. 
But at the end of the day, the rules are the rules. No matter how the boundaries are set up, the rules are the rules. And maybe you can go back at some point and look at the boundaries. And you guys can figure out whether the boundaries are unfair. And in the process of that, you can figure that out, do something differently, and ultimately make a change to those boundaries. Maybe that's what can happen. I don't know. Maybe that's what can happen. I don't know. But the reality is, you know, it's, it's an unfortunate situation. Is it fair to the kids? No. But we all pay for the sins of the mother, the sins of the father, the sins of our parents. That's life. That's reality. It truly is what it truly is. And there's nothing you can do about that. We we look around now, Tiger Woods, we've got a few minutes left. Tiger Woods, he said he's shutting it down. He's been awful the last few weeks. He said it himself, the last two, quote, the last two weeks have been very disappointing to me, especially Tory, because I know, because I never want to withdraw. Unfortunately, the latest injuries have made that happen too often. I'm committed to getting back to the pinnacle of my game. He's 39 years old, and maybe we've seen the best of Tiger Woods, and maybe, you know, the, the pinnacle of his game is a lot different than it was many years ago, many moons ago, when he was winning majors left and right. It is what it is at this point in time for Tiger Woods. He's not the golf player that he used to be, and he probably will never be the golfer that he used to be. And he may not win a major ever again, and that's just the way it is. I mean, we were talking many moons ago. He's going to catch Jack. He's going to catch Jack. And he never did. It's never happened. And... We'll see what happens moving forward with Tiger Woods, but he's going to take a break, get himself right. Peyton Manning. You look at Peyton Manning now, and, and you know, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? This team now, you look at the Denver Broncos and Peyton Manning, 39 years old. Peyton Manning, you know, he's reassured Denver Broncos and John Elway that he's prepared to play in 2015. And apparently these two sides, they met on Thursday. And, you know, they hope to get some clarity by next week. And I look at the situation with Peyton Manning, and, and I feel like, I don't. obviously you can't do worse than Peyton Manning. Obviously he's still an elite quarterback in this league, but I don't think you're going to win with Peyton Manning. I, I mean, here's the thing also. You know, even to be an elite, even being a big-time quarterback, Peyton Manning has broke broke down last year. He broke down. He had some injuries. Nearly he had some nicks near the end of the year. Played in that playoff game with a torn quad. And you know, you look at that particular game, and the Broncos' defense wasn't really that bad in that game against the Colts. The Broncos' defense played okay. The Colts as a team played okay. Peyton Manning did not. I mean, the Broncos as a team played. Peyton Manning did not. He was awful. And, you know, the torn quad might have, led, might have been a part of that, but he was off. And so, you know, and that's what you get with a 39-year-old sometimes. You're going to get injuries, and injuries affect play. It's hard to stay healthy when you get to, to that age. It's hard to stay healthy when you're that, when you're 39 years old. That's just the reality of the situation. Father Time wins all the time. Father Time is undefeated. It never loses. It never has lost, and it never will lose. Peyton Manning, to me, is testing fate. That neck injury and everything, he's testing fate. I think he should walk away. I don't think he will, but I think he should. You know, we got another minute left. Jerry Tarkanian, Dean Smith, two coaching legends have left. And, and you know, guys who, who, who won titles, guys who coach great basketball, guys who may have done it a little differently. You know, Tark was a little more of a rebel. Tark, you know, he's a little more of a rebel than Dean Smith. Dean Smith talked about playing the right way. And, you know, that's what we'll remember, Dean Smith, playing the right way, doing things the Tar Hill way, the North Carolina way. And you look at Jerry Tarkanian and, and a guy who was a rebel. He was truly a rebel, fought the NCAA. Probably won. I can say he won. You can say he won. He fought him tooth, tooth and nail, had a lot of success. And both of those guys are going and lived long lives. And, and ultimately they left us but they leave a legacy of a lot of winning. About 20 seconds left in the show. I want to thank Marquise Ambles for joining us. You can listen to this show and other great shows, blogtalkradio.com slash pgame, where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Follow us on Twitter at GoForAgain. Hit, hit us up on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash GoForAgain. For everybody here, go for it. 
We hope you have a great weekend. Happy Valentine's Day. See you later. Bye.